everyone, and welcome to the second episode of, I forgot the name of our podcast. Almost game day. <laughs> it's almost game day, guys. It is Saturday. It is almost game day. It is Saturday. Yep. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, but it's Saturday for everybody listening. So enjoy college football today. Enjoy the start to your weekend. I will be chilling up in the mountains, drinking beer and hanging out with my dog. What are you doing? See, that Wait, sounds phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to be uh, maybe surviving a hurricane. I'm actually down here in Savannah, Georgia, where we're having all the evacuees from North Carolina and South Carolina come on down to get away from the hurricane. So I'll take that as a good thing that uh, people are escaping to where I am. So it uh, looks like we're just going to get a bunch of rain, but this is my first hurricane being from Iowa. I have no idea what to expect, but I'm just going to have some fun with it. Cool. Yeah. Enjoy the rain. I, I would actually kill for some rain right now. It's been high nineties in Denver all week and it's just mm-hmm. miserable up here. Yeah. That's normal Savannah weather. So I feel you. All right, so let's jump into some Chargers news from this week. So obviously, first and foremost on everybody's minds is Joey Bosa. uh, And he actually flew out to Green Bay to visit with a specialist doctor, uh, Dr. Robert Anderson. Basically, what the doctor told him is the doctor confirmed what the Chargers training staff diagnosed him with, which is a bone bruise. Um, He doesn't have a fracture, which is good news because that means it's not going to require surgery. The downside to the bone bruise is just the fact that it takes some time. I kind of talked about it a little bit back when Dylan Cantrell first got hurt, but I've had a bone bruise before when I partially tore my ACL. And basically, it's trauma to the bone that causes some bruising inside the bone. And so it's really painful and it just takes some time. And so the team is basically continuing to treat him week to week. He's confirmed out for this week. He'll likely be out again next week because basically they just need to give that time, that foot as much time as they can to heal because with the level of pain that bone bruises cause, Bosa won't be able to have any confidence in that foot. So he won't be able to plant and drive off of that foot. It'll just and, you know, if he does do those things, it'll just injure it worse and he'll be out longer. So, you know, I I, at this point, it's looking to me like he's probably going to be out at least the first four weeks of the season. He's going to miss the first quarter of the season, but there shouldn't be any long term effects from this. Yeah, and that's all good news. Um, You know, it sucks because he is still one of, if not the best player on the Chargers. Um, They desperately need him. I know they desperately needed him against the Kansas City Chiefs, but Hopefully with a little experience under his belt, Rochelle's looks a little bit more solid. And then obviously this kind of translates into our uh, second bit of news, which is Uchenna Nwosu going to get extended looks on the defense finally after only recording two snaps against the Chiefs. It came out that apparently Nwosu is uh, at least spent this past week going away from his off-ball linebacker duties and spending a lot of time with the defensive line, defensive line coach Smith, um, at the big end role, which is what Joey Bosa plays. And although they also said that Rochelle will be starting um, at the end position, Nuosa will work in and have his opportunity to get after the quarterback, which was something that um, he was pretty good at when he was in college. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, you know, they had to try and get him extra reps at that big end position because that was one thing that Lynn mentioned when when he was asked about it post game. Somebody asked him, why did Uchenna Nuosa only get two snaps? And he said, well, it's because he's not super familiar with that big end position. He hasn't had a lot of snaps there. And I thought that was really interesting because basically that's Anthony Lynn saying that even though he played some off-ball linebacker in the preseason and did a, did a good job at it, they do not see him as someone who's you know backing up or possibly replacing Kyle Emanuel. They're looking at him more as somebody, like you said, who's backing up Joey Bosa. So to me, that's kind of weird that they are like, 
yeah, they need more pass rush and they need to get him on the field more. But I, it, to me, it's interesting that they're choosing to do that by cycling him into that F, that defensive end position, like on pass rushing downs, as opposed to getting him on the field in Kyle Emanuel's spot, who played like ass last week. Yeah, so that's obviously uh, extra frustrating for me because um, if there's someone you know who runs the fan club for getting Kyle Emanuel off the field, that would be moi. And it is just causing a ton of confusion because uh, initially we all thought that Nuosu was drafted to specifically compete with Kyle Emanuel and take over that auto role. As a prospect, you know, he's 6'2", about 250 pounds. He is not Isaac Rochelle. He's definitely not Joey Bosa in terms of measurement, size, length, and all that stuff. Um, he's a totally different type of player. Uh, he's gotten work at the auto position. He's also gotten work at the Leo position because he looks a lot closer to Melvin Ingram's body type. Same with Chris Landrum. Um, as that, you know, base and outside linebacker who can rush the quarterback type role as a big end. That's not Nwosu. So, again, I'm wondering what the deal is with, you know, keeping Kyle Emanuel there and, and having no better options than Kyle Emanuel and then forcing Nwosu into a role that maybe he played a little bit in college, but no one probably thought that was going to be his role in the NFL. So I think, if anything, the defensive staff is only going to use manual, you know, specifically in certain situations. And I think we can, you know, chalk it all up to Emmanuel, Kaiser, Jatavis, like a couple of these other uh, off-ball linebackers who are going to, I guess, flip through, um, you know, to and fro, depending on the packages that they're using. And um, I don't know, man, I hope it works out, but it's still super confusing. Um, it's some question that I would love to ask the coaching staff, like what exactly is going on? Because it really, it just doesn't make sense. I feel like yeah, we're I fitting square pegs and round That's, holes. It is just kind of confusing. Uh, yeah, no, it's super confusing. I guess, you know, maybe when we watch uh, the Chargers take on the Bills on Sunday, it can shed some light on what they're exactly trying to do. And maybe if it goes wrong, someone will ask some questions in the, you know, the post-game press conference. So I don't know. I think this is a situation where... Uh, we're just going to have to wait a little bit. Yep. Uh, so uh, other Chargers news. Uh, it looks like uh, we're getting reports out of practice today. Uh, today, Well, yesterday for you guys, but today, Friday for us, um, that Hunter Henry is actually out on the field working on his own. He has a knee brace on, but he was seen doing some sprints, uh, some cutting and some diagonal sprints, which that is really good news for as far as his rehab goes, because basically that with that ACL injury, the concern is those cuts and those diagonal movements because it's rather than planting going forward or backwards, um, what the ACL helps do is stabilize the knee when you're applying sideways pressure to your knee. So um, it's really encouraging, even though he's, he's wearing a brace, it's encouraging to see that the training staff has enough confidence in his recovery at this point to start putting him through some of those kind of drills. So maybe there is hope that he has a Melvin Ingram type recovery and can contribute near the end of the season or like in a playoff run. I mean, wouldn't that be the dream? You know, if we can somehow survive the season, try to survive the season and uh, Hunter Henry comes back, maybe helps uh, the team secure a playoff spot and maybe a deep run in the playoffs. Who knows? Um, I actually read this tweet when uh, it was first thrown up in the Slack chat as uh, he was doing diagonal, like, or not diagonal sprints, but I read it as like lateral sprints or just sideways sprints. And, and mm. to be honest, I never heard uh, anything about him, you know, working on a straight line sprint or even jogging or anything like that. So I, I read this and obviously got excited, but I go, why is he doing such weird stuff? Like just have the guy run in a, a straight line and see if you could do that. I don't know. It was, it was weird. I just woke up from a nap and was like, this doesn't make <laughs> any sense, Eric. What are you talking about? And obviously it's 
Eric and we love Eric. He's got some shticks about him. So it's very confused on that for a second. But no, overall, and, and Eric said it in the tweet, it's impressive. It is super impressive. Four months away from an ACL surgery is uh, is pretty crazy. And I mean, some players don't get to uh, even jogging after four months, um, depending on how the recovery process goes. But good thing he's wearing a knee brace. We know how Chargers players don't like to wear knee braces. But that's such good news, honestly. And it's not bad news by any means either. So I'm happy about it. Yep. And then sticking with Eric, uh, Eric's been Eric's been doing a good job the past couple of days. Uh, so Eric Williams also tweeted out that Forrest Lamp could see some time uh, against the some game time this week against the Bills, which obviously that's the dream. It, it, I, I assume what that means to me, what that means is Sam Tevy is going to be starting at right tackle. Michael Schofield is going to be at right guard. But Tevy will be on a short leash. And if Tevi continues to not perform well, I could see a, a, a situation where they move Schofield then out to right tackle and throw Lamp in at, at right guard. When, when Anthony Lynn was asked about that possibility earlier in the week, what he said was that the team would prefer to just put Tevi in there and only have to make one move rather than making two moves by shifting over Schofield and putting Lamp in. But obviously performance is going to dictate that so if Tevi continues to not perform and gives up some pressures gives up gives up a sack I could I think the team is more than willing to then go ahead and bite the bullet and make that two shift two two move switch and shoot Schofield out to right tackle and bring Lamp in the game yeah and I know it's tough one move is a little bit safer than two you never know what's going to happen uh, shift the two guys around but um I think that would be the best way to go about things um, Sam Tevy, Sam Tevy, we've had a lot of frustration over number 69, nice, um, over the past couple of weeks. And it was, a, again, a question mark from the very moment we drafted him. We've been wondering why he's only been really the only true offensive t- tackle depth outside of Schofield. I mean, the only Schofield can do a couple of things, which I guess is good. But in terms of true OT depth, Tevy's it, and I've never felt quite comfortable with it. He, he's got some athleticism. He moves a lot better to me in space. Instead of Barksdale, I know on Melvin Gordon's 18-yard run, it was uh, the first big run that he broke against the Chiefs last Sunday. Tevi played a, a good part in it. I think the run concept and how they blocked it really helped Tevi make such a block. I mean, it was sort of a down block. He didn't have to square up anybody and really like win in a true one-on-one situation. I mean, he kind of took advantage of the motions of the offense, taking the linebackers where he wanted them. But um, he looked good moving, and I just think he's a guy who is still so raw. And he's really, really got to work on still putting it together. But again, go back to Forrest Lamp. I think in any facet, getting Lamp on the field is going to be a good thing. Um, even if it means moving Schofield out again, I have no, I have more confidence in Schofield moving and taking Tevi out than just replacing Tevi somehow. Schofield's been a right tackle. He was the right tackle for the Broncos in their Super Bowl win over the Carolina Panthers a number of years ago. Um, so he's been it. He's done it and done it at a high level. And again, getting Forrest on the lamp is, to me, priority number one. Um, it's been far too long. And as long as he looks good, um, I don't think the coaching staff needs to be as cautious as they've been so far. I mean, we're going into our uh, second game of the regular season. He's played football, I think, at least for a month now. We're coming up on to it, um, actually participating in full drills, full practices and stuff like that. So I think it's time they can, uh, you know, take off that little leash they've had on Lamp for the last couple of weeks. Yep, I agree with that. So one final bit of news that it, it's not specifically Chargers related, and we'll definitely, we'll, we'll 
we'll dive more into it on our Wednesday show, the rest of the West, but a name that you guys have heard from all of us at bolts from the blue multiple times is defensive tackle, Jonathan Hankins and the, that the chargers should be, that should be a guy that the chargers bring in. And so there was a lot of speculation that maybe the reason he hadn't signed with anybody yet is because he was just asking for some outrageous sum of money. Well, I think we can dispel that because he signed a one-year deal with the Raiders this week for $2 million. And he's got up to another million in incentives. But it was, I mean, it was chump change. A two a $2 million deal for one year. The Chargers could have done that today. The, the Chargers mm-hmm. have the caps. They, they could have done that without cutting anybody uh, to try and create cap space. So obviously there was something else going on there that only the Raiders so far have been willing to take on. I don't want to speculate as to what that is. Like, I have no idea if it was some personality thing or they thought he was out of shape. I like, you know, I, I, I don't really know what it was, but it definitely wasn't money. And so that's disappointing to see him go to the Raiders um, and, you know, probably perform well for them. I hope not. I hope he sucks, to be honest. That's just my honest opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, this I think no, that's the that default stance now. Stanley, this is where the whole staff turns heel and says that Jonathan Hankins sucked and we never wanted him. And we got to go back and delete every article that said we did want him. You've been doing this long uh, enough. Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty sure uh, Garrett and uh, Garrett and Kyle Posey will probably lead the charge on uh, walking that one back. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're already doing it right now. Um, all right, guys. So moving on uh, before we get into, or I guess fantasy is the next. We're going to do a preview, right? We're previewing this Bills game. I know we always did that a little bit of that, right? Yep. All right, guys. So we got the Bills again. And I know it probably still feels fresh in your minds after what uh, happened in last year's matchup. If you don't recall, and I don't know how you would, the Chargers won 55 to 24, led by five interceptions thrown by, at the time, rookie quarterback Nathan Peterman. And it was just an absolute defensive bloodbath. I mean, Bosa wreaked havoc. Ingram did. I think Emmanuel had an interception for crying out loud. Uh, Casey had an interception. I think Trevor Williams had an interception. I mean, it was absolutely insane. I don't think we can expect the same level of defensive monstrosity that uh, they were last year without Bosa, but I think we got some better players, some more athletic players to run around and give fists to the Bills. And it's not like the Bills are trotting out their most athletic roster as well. I mean, when your number one receiver is Kelvin Benjamin, who you know, less than two years ago was having viral tweets made about him because he gained so much weight and people started calling him Queen Latifah. Yeah, I'm feeling kind of confident in our defense going up against the Bills wide receivers and their skill positions. Um, There's I think the other two starting wide receivers are Zay Jones, if you recall, who had some weird, super weird, disturbing off the field issues where he was found like naked running through a hotel or something like that. I don't know. That doesn't give me confidence in the Bill skills positions. And then Jeremy Curley, you know, the journeyman that he's been over the last several years, he's their third wide receiver with, you know, Charles Clay as a serviceable. He's been actually a pretty good tight end. You know, when you got Josh Hill, Josh Hill, excuse me, Josh Allen throwing you the ball, Nathan Peterman throwing you the ball. Um, you're not going to look that great. Stanley, what you got? I was just looking at the uh, injury report for the Bills and there's a couple names on here. So Shaq Lawson, uh, he's one of their better pass rushers. He was, he has yet to practice this week. Uh, we'll see 
later today on Friday what what happens there, but he hasn't practiced yet. And then their backup corner, Teron Johnson, also hasn't played. And I'm trying to pull up the snap counts to see how much he played last week. But there's those two guys have yet to practice this week, and it doesn't look good for them to play. And then uh, the last guy that hasn't practiced yet is uh, Ray Ray McLeod, who is buried down the depth chart at wide receiver. There was almost a little hope earlier in the week that two of their bigger names might not play in defensive tackle Kyle Williams and linebacker Lorenzo Alexander, but it looks like those were just veteran rest days, kind of like Antonio Gates gets um, Mm -hmm. from time to time. So both of those guys will be playing. I think this game, you know, the Chargers are on the road, but they opened up at seven and a half point favorites. It's not going to be a crazy hard game for the Chargers. Uh, Josh Allen, you're kind of going to be looking at a similar um, style to what the Chargers saw in Patrick Mahomes this last week. But the the main difference is, well, two main differences are that the Bills offensive line is way, way worse than the Chiefs offensive line. And the Bills wide receivers are way, way worse than the Chiefs wide receivers. I don't think the Chargers are going to have much problem at all covering the the wide receivers for the Bills because, I mean, Zay Jones has some speed, but Kelvin Benjamin is just a big guy who's not overly fast. Andre Holmes, he's kind of one of those long striders, kind of like Tyra Williams. But, you know, none of these guys are game breakers. These guys are all, on most other rosters, would be maybe wide receiver two, high wide receiver threes. None of these guys are, are, you know, going to give the the Chargers a bunch of fits. Uh, at tight end, they have Charles Clay as their best tight end. And again, nothing's really to worry about there. So the big key will be trying to create some pass rush, especially with the lack of pass rush last week, but getting in Josh Allen's face and forcing him to try and beat you with his arm because he has way too much confidence in that arm. And I have a feeling he's going to make, if if they put even a little bit of pressure on him, he's going to be making some pretty interceptable throws. Yeah, I fully agree. And I can't help but uh, imagine it, but I could see Josh Allen making one or two throws during this game based solely on his arm strength alone, that he'll complete some long bomb, fit some tight window. And it's going to be a couple of those throws where you kind of look at whoever's in the room with you or face palm because you just can't believe that just happened. You know, it's going to be some great play where, of course, we're going to sit there and go, of course, this happened. Of course, we let Josh Allen look like a superhero for a little bit, that sort of thing. Um, I can fully expect to see that happening. Um, But for the most part, Josh Allen shouldn't be anywhere near Clark Kent or anything special playing the Chargers. The one thing we do have to worry about is LaShawn McCoy as a running back. Mm -hmm. Um, He did hurt us a little bit last year, 14 carries, 122 yards, one touchdown. Uh, had one catch for 12 yards and another touchdown. But in week one, the Ravens D were very, very stout against the Bills. He only had seven carries for 22 yards, uh, one catch for negative one yard. I mean, absolutely obliterated. And although the Chargers run defense is not the Ravens run defense, they still held their own and were pretty stout against Kareem Hunt and the Chiefs. If I recall, Kareem Hunt had 16 carries for 49 yards, which was three points. 06 yards per carry which is phenomenal for a guy who obviously ran all over the chargers the last two contests um during his rookie season so i think that's going to be huge i think the only way the bills could have any semblance of success is going to be mccoy and after last week's run defense performance 
I'm feeling much more confident in that facet of uh, the defense side of the ball. Yeah, even just having Kazir White out there is going to be a huge difference compared to last year. At that point in the season, Denzel Perryman was pretty banged up too, and he's looking pretty fresh right now. So <clears throat> I think, you know, all signs point to the Chargers having a pretty – I I hesitate to say easy time because every time I say that, it feels like the Chargers find a way to make it hard for themselves, but it won't be super difficult for the Chargers to contain this defense this week. Um, I mean, this offense this week. And then uh, on offense, there's nobody really on that defense that scares me at all or that should scare the Chargers. They, they've got a pretty stout defensive line. Just their, their, their four guys on the defensive line are good. But once you get to the second and third levels, there's nobody really back there that's you need to like game plan around. Um, so I think the Chargers should be able to move the ball pretty easily if they want to. Um, and if everybody, you know, figures out how to catch the damn ball. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think this is this is definitely a winnable game. I think, you know, Vegas was not over exaggerating when they opened this with a seven and a half point advantage for the Chargers. Yeah, most definitely not. I think the only uh, player in their secondary that comes to mind is. Uh, actually, no, there's two of them, and they were both pretty good last year. Um, that's cornerback Tredavious White. He's a second-year player out of LSU. And then safety Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. So actually, I went from zero to three names all of a sudden. Micah Hyde is a, is a very good safety. He was a free agent signing, I think, a year or two ago from the Packers. He's a former Iowa Hawkeye. Jordan Poyer came on. Um, I think both Hyde and Poyer had uh, four-plus interceptions last year. Heike, or Heike, Micah Hyde had at least five. And Tredavious White was one of the young corners really making a splash alongside um, Lattimore from New Orleans and a couple other guys. So there are some names, but we did just watch the Ravens put up 47 points on the Bills, and a lot of that was through the air. I think Joe Flacco hit three of his new receivers for touchdowns. And so as good as they were last year, it doesn't look that great going into this game, and especially with much better firepower, a much better quarterback, one who I would argue is actually elite over Joe Flacco. Um, I think that spells bad news for the Bills. Yep. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. So building on that and rolling right into the fantasy projections, I think, again, this week, pretty much any Chargers offensive player that you have, I'd, I'd go ahead and start. Uh, Rivers is a must start. Keenan Allen's a must start. I think with Travis Benjamin being out, Mike Williams is definitely a flex option this week. Um, I would definitely mm-hmm. have, I, I, I'm probably going to put in at least one of my leagues. I know I'm going to put Mike Williams as my flex option. And then I think both mm-hmm. both running backs, I think what we saw last week going forward that's going to be a pretty consistent ratio um, for touches between Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. And so as you saw, even with only, I think it was 10 total touches for Austin Eckler, he came away with like 20 points in my in one of my fantasy leagues. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I think basically any Chargers offensive player, well, it, to an extent. So obviously not Travis Benjamin. He's out this week. Virgil Green, I I would still say don't start any Chargers tight ends um, mm-hmm. until until they like until they show that tight end is going to be you know something that they use more often than not. But um, I think tight tight end from now on is is basically going to be just a safety valve. So Chargers wide receivers start, Chargers running backs start, and start Rivers and and facing this Bills offense, I would start the Chargers defense this week too. Yes, very much so. Chargers defense may have a field day after uh, quite a letdown in Week One. Um, just to throw out some numbers, and these are by far not official. Um, these are sort of loosely based off uh, one of my main leagues, and I run an ESPN half point PPR. But Rivers is sitting here at 16.2 points. I think that's pretty low for a guy who just scored, um, I think it was 29 last week. Um, but 16.2 for Rivers. Gordon at 16.3. Um, I think that's about right, um, especially with how he's been splitting carries uh, and some reps with uh, Austin Eckler. Mike Will sitting at uh, 7.6. And I think that's pretty good. Again, not getting too far past expectations. Uh, he showed some pretty good stuff against the Chiefs. But I just think that should go up with Travis Benjamin not playing. Same thing with Tyrell Williams. But I think uh, mostly the needle's pointing up for Mike Will. Um, Tyrell's always pretty startable in a boomer bust flex uh, type of situation. I mean, he had, I think, eight points, eight, seven points with uh, the the touchdown. But he only had two catches for four yards. And, and that game obviously could have been way more. If he catches one more of those passes, two more of his passes, you're talking about another receiver who went over the 20-point scale. Um, Allen, as solid as they they come, 14.8 points. Um, again, must start Rivers, Gordon, Allen. And I think this is one week, if you've been itching to get Tyrell, itching to get especially Mike Will um, in a lineup, I believe this is the week to do it. And I think it'll shine uh, a lot of light on how the team's going to possibly use the offense going forward. And then last but not least, Austin Eckler. Um, for deeper leagues, 14, 16 teams, he's definitely a guy you might want to think about in a flex. It's 16 or 6.6, excuse me, points um, that is projected in this league. Um, and I think that's an easy number for him to hit, especially with just how efficient he's been. Um, I'd be full steam ahead on Eckler if you're really scratching the bottom of the barrel um, for a deeper league in your flex zone. All right. So uh, getting ready to wrap up this week, we're going to move on to our draft prospect of the week. We were going to give you guys an offensive tackle. Uh, we 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 were kind of looking at uh, Trey Adams from Washington. Yep. But he actually just had season-ending back surgery a week ago, and he will probably be exercising his fifth-year option and returning to to play for them again next year because he's going to miss this whole season. So we decided to bring a a quarterback uh, this time. The Chargers are obviously going to be once again looking for a quarterback. You know, as much as Anthony Lynn likes Cardale Jones and as okay as uh, Geno Smith looked, I, I still think they need to be planning for a quarterback of the future. And so that brings us to South Carolina quarterback, Jake Bentley. Um, I chose J- Bentley because I like what I see on tape and based on everything I've been seeing um, on all the different sites I check out, it looks like, you know, the target for him right now is like top of the second round, end of the first round, which I think is kind of the sweet spot for where the chargers are going to be looking for a prospect. I, I don't think that, well, first off, I, the Chargers are not going to be picking in the top five or so this year, and they're not in such a position that they need to trade up that high for a quarterback. They can take a guy that's still good, 
but not, you know, one of those guys that you need to plug in right away. So that's where I like Jake Bentley. Uh, he's listed at 6'3", 220 pounds out of South Carolina. He's a true junior this year. And he, I, I like what I see from him. He's a, he's an ultra competitor. He's got a really good arm. He can make all the throws that I've seen. Um, he's got some mobility to him. Uh, he's not afraid to kind of tuck it and, and, and run when he needs to, and he can, he can move. He's a pretty accurate passer overall for his career so far. He's uh, completing 64% of his passes for 7.2 yards per attempt, and he's thrown 32 touchdowns to 18 interceptions. Uh, last year was his first full year as a starter, and he finished that off by leading a come-from-behind victory in the Outback Bowl versus Michigan. So he can, you know, he performs well under pressure in, in the big games like that. I just really like what I see from him. He, he, to me, he looks like he's got the same kind of passion for the game that Phillip Rivers does, and I think that's important for this team and this offense. Yeah, I just, I really like Jake Bentley. What, what were your thoughts, Michael? Yeah, so I, I believe you watched a bit more film on him than me. I watched a little bit just because one of his receivers, uh, Brian Edwards, is on my college football fantasy team, and he's done wonders for me. So obviously, in turn, I kind of have some high feelings about uh, Jake Bentley. Like you said, 6'3", 220, true junior, great size. I mean, I think that's exactly the height and weight of Aaron Rodgers. Literally just that's the only comparison between those two right now. Pluses are, like you talked about, huge competitor. My good friend John Ledyard over at the Draft Network had a fun clip about Bentley saying that, quote, he will empty the clip on the field every time he plays. And I absolutely love that. The one thing about um, Phillip Rivers that not just Chargers fans love, but everyone around the NFL love and will talk about when you bring up Philip Rivers is his fieriness, is his, is his passion, competitiveness for the game. Um, I just met someone the other day who found out I was a Chargers fan and he happens to be a Jags fan. And he made a point to tell me that he didn't like Rivers because of how much of a trash talker he is. And, and I go, how do you hate a guy who doesn't curse when he trash talks? I mean, it's like, there's nothing vulgar about it. It's almost like he's a, you know, a kitten trying to eat your foot like he's feisty and fiery, but like it's not like he's doing anything. I absolutely love, love that aspect. And I mean, you want a quarterback, especially a franchise quarterback that outside of what he can do on the field, he has intangibles that make him a person that people love to talk about, to watch and to be able to have a guy with a fire that makes people who watch him go, wow, like, I can really get behind this guy. He gets me fired up just sitting here in the stands. I think that's absolutely huge. Um, another plus thing is you talked about his mobility. And it's been uh, well noted over the last 12 months that Coach Lynn is looking for a not a scrambler, not a dual threat quarterback, just a mobile quarterback. Uh, we've seen that with quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers. Drew Brees can move a little bit. Um, Teddy's a guy who... A lot of people thought coming out was a scrambler or a dual threat. No, he's just mobile enough to make plays. A lot of the best, most successful QBs in the league have just that little extra mobility. Um, their first thought is not to take off and run, but they can extend plays, keep them alive. And especially in the Chargers offense that allow or that really relies on vertical passing concepts, chucking the ball deep after setting up um, certain things in play action with the run. Um, his little ounce of mobility can help our receivers get that much deeper down the field make that much more separation and i think that's absolutely huge a couple negatives yeah, he, uh, that i saw go ahead sorry i just wanted to piggyback onto that for just a second so he he he's not a guy that will like go get big chunks of yards like last season he had 73 rushes for 85 yards so that's only 1.2 yards per attempt but he made him count 
because he had six rushing touchdowns last year. So he gives you an option down there at the goal line to have those design quarterback runs because and convert them. So that's just, he's got the, the right amount of mobility. He's not a guy that's going to rely on tucking and running, but if he needs to, he can, he can make it happen. He doesn't look like a wounded baby giraffe like rivers does. No, very much. So huge. I just think extra mobility is, is absolutely imperative to uh, current day success in the NFL. I'm going on to his negatives though. He is pretty well all over the field. I don't know how else to say it. Um, a lot of the things I read is that he has this wild accuracy and it's to all levels of the field. Um, it kind of hurts to see that it says he misses a lot of throws that should be automatic completions. Um, and I mean, all these notes are based off of his game tape last year. Uh, and he himself even said he was kind of let down by how he finished. I think he finished with 18 touchdowns. 3,500 plus yards, 3,800 yards, something like that. But he did throw 12 interceptions. So not the best TD to interception ratio. But again, that was his first year as a starter. He's going into his third year in the program. Like I said, uh, thir- uh, second year starting. He should make leaps and bounds. He's got all these intangibles, all these tools. I think he's only going to build confidence from here on out. And he plays in this pro-style offense that staff of uh, the Chargers and NFL, NFL personnel alike say, it makes it way easier to project quarterbacks from college to the NFL. I think that's absolutely huge. Um, and then the last thing, his wild inaccuracy has actually been pinned to poor lower body mechanics, not setting his base, not squaring his shoulders, all that stuff that goes into the finer details of what make good quarterbacks great and just okay quarterbacks, keeping them there just at serviceable and okay. Um, I think he's a very interesting prospect. I really like that you brought him up. You even sent me a video not too long ago after his first game that said, you know, is it me or does this look like Phillip Rivers? I, I think that's terribly, terribly true. And again, gets you going about a guy like him. So great prospect. Uh, this one was a, a nice get um, from you, Stanley. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think he's got potential. And, and to me, all of those negatives that you listed off are things that can be corrected with coaching and time. So what you, what you would be doing when drafting a guy like Bentley at the end of the first round or top of the second round is you're stashing a guy who has the things you can't teach and only needs a little bit of tweaking to be a really good player. And so he can come in, sit behind Rivers for a year, uh, and and just absorb from the coaching staff. I mean, it, <clears throat> there's kind of this weird trope that, you know, starting quarterbacks should be like teachers and mentors and trying to mold the guy that's basically there to take their job. Um, and so that, like, I don't necessarily think that's something that should happen, but being able to sit behind rivers and just watch how he operates and learn from um, learn from this coaching staff, I think would do wonders for Jake Bentley. And I think he's the kind of guy that you do like, you can be a little bit patient on to develop because he's a guy that already I've seen uh, looking at last year's tape to this year's tape. He has been making some improvements. So he's not a guy that's like plateaued yet. Like that's the kind of our main complaint with Cardale is that, you know, from last year to this year, there hasn't been really any change. Like there's nothing that he was doing in training camp this year that looks better than last year at all. And in, in some ways he looks worse. So I, those are the, to me, those are the guys that you, you know, stop spending so much time on and you got to bring in a guy like Jake Bentley. No, you're absolutely correct. I think it's been well over half a decade um, since the Chargers drafted a quarterback. Am I right? It was uh, Sorensen, Brad Sorensen from like Southern yep. Utah University or something like that. 
they haven't even really tried that hard to find a guy to potentially take over Philip Rivers. And I think the clock's ticking on not just to find the guy, but to start finding the guy. Um, Geno Smith, as, as well as he's played, probably more than likely is not it. Cardale Jones is definitely not it. Um, I think it's going to take a draft pick and one on day one or two. I don't think a late round flyer on a quarterback is going to do too much uh, for this organization in the long run. I think they just need to buckle down and, and, and pull the trigger on somebody here in the next year or so. Cool. All right. Well, that about does it for us, uh, everybody. So uh, make sure you go follow us on Twitter. I'm can be found at bolt fan in Denver and Michael can be found at zone tracks. And the Twitter account for this podcast is at almost game day. Um, you can start sending us questions there. We'll try and create a little time next week and answer any questions you have uh, leading into the game. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. So enjoy your Saturdays. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.